Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. How about Game 1 of the World Series? Where was the pitcher's duel we all expected? 5-4, the Nationals win Game 1. A little shaky from the bullpen, which I know for National fans is like obsession number one. But they got the win, and now it's uh, Strasburg and Verlander in Game 2 tonight. And Verlander's 1-2 and two in the postseason with a 3.7 ERA. He has not been lights out. Now... He's capable of being lights out on any given night, but Strasburg's the guy's ERA is like half of Verlander's. Nationals, they got a decent chance going up 2-0 tonight. Obviously, there's no guarantee, and it's not a lock, but I think that was a really, really big win. To go get Cole like that, hit a couple homers, and then get the three in the fifth and, and make them stand up. So, All right, a little baseball talk there off the top. Uh, we got some... Uh, basketball to get to because the Jazz open tonight and we got football to get to uh, coming up at 7.15 we're going to talk with Jeff Grimes BYU's offensive coordinator right now though we'll hear from Utah football coach Kyle Woodingham uh, talking a lot of special teams after practice yesterday here's Kyle did you know your two linebackers were going to be this good well they were doing some really good things in spring and of course we didn't know at that time that we'd be minus uh, Manny Bowen so we thought there would be a uh, you know a little more depth there but but uh, they showed you know Francis he was a proven commodity last year he he had a lot of reps last year and really uh, made the most of them and proved that he was a playmaker. So that was no surprise. And with Devin Loy's work ethic, his attention to detail, he's completely made himself. He's a self-made linebacker. And uh, with his, you know, how hard he works at it, it doesn't surprise me he's having the success he's having. So. Um, I was just going to say, for clarity's sake, is it really a four-hour workout on game days? <laughs> Some days, yeah, close, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can stretch I'm it. Into, I can stretch it into four. <laughs> That's not an everyday thing, trust me. I wouldn't have this boiler right here. <laughs> when you do the substitution on defense to uh, to match up, mm-hmm. how does that rule work exactly? Once they sub, how long do you have to? Okay, the, the mechanics of the rule, offense subs, okay, when they sub, they'll stand over the ball and give the iron cross, and they'll give the defense three seconds to initiate up to start the process not to complete it obviously so if you don't have a player entering the game within three seconds of that ref standing over the ball then they're going to back away and let them snap it whenever and so if you do start the process then you just have to you know get on the field in a non-lethargic manner and then get off it's not the defenses the onus is on the offense to get the ball snapped before 40 seconds so that being said if they make a late sub we're going to sub with them and we're going to go at a decent pace. And if the clock runs out, as you saw in the game, it runs out. So the offense really is penalized for a late sub if the defense does it correctly. And it's not a dirty tactic. It's not. It's just we're not going to sprint and sprint for no reason. It's not. It's not our job to sprint on and off. We just go at a, a good pace, which that's how it works. That- so, so how does it work for your defense then? The players, do they kind of have to anticipate what might be happening? Three seconds isn't a lot of time for coaches to rally the proper guys. You're right. The they, they, it, it really it probably ends up being about four or five seconds because they'll step in and look over, and it's, you know, three seconds is, is probably 
that's the rule, but it's probably a little bit fudging a little a second or two longer than that. But have you really coached your players up during the week so they're looking at down and distance, knowing which packages you may or Absolutely. may not want, and they're looking, and they, if they see a bunch of wide receivers coming on, guys are going to know what that means on the side. Pretty much, yeah. We, they, they are anticipating the, the personnel changes uh, as the offense changes as we've been practicing them all week long, and so it's not new to them, and so uh, a lot of it is uh, anticipated by those guys. You've been talking about improving the return game, and you've got to do better there in the special teams. What does that consist of specifically aside from getting more yards and breaking one? Well, for the punt return, it's just getting more yards and breaking one. I mean, that, that is it. And uh, we got to create space for the returner by keeping the, you know, the coverage guys you know, from, from getting right in his face before he catches the football. And then, you know, kickoff return is kind of a dinosaur. Hardly anybody gets returns anymore. And we're pretty content to get the ball at the 25 with a fair catch because 25-yard line will be somewhere uh, in the upper half of the country as a starting point. And so that's not as important to us as the punt return because the punt return, you know, you, you obviously, you know, the more yards you get, we try to get a first down. If we can get a first down with our punt returner, 10 yards, and we feel like we're accomplishing something. So do you need less dancing around and more just straight up? Uh, yeah, just getting vertical, north and south. Exactly. Last thing on the kickoff He's return. On the kickoff return, yeah. you guys have to be aware that they could be getting blasted in those first five yards. Yeah, and we t- we talk about that, and it's it's not a brand new tactic. We see it from time to time, and the key is you just can't take off and have your head and eyes down. You got to have your head and eyes up and head on a swivel and have an awareness. There's Kyle Whittingham getting rushed up by PR people because he had to go off to his radio show, which is uh, every Tuesday, just squeezing in a few minutes with the media after practice before the radio show. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, more football on the way, and then we will get to the uh, Jazz a little later in the show as they open up tonight. Stay with us. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, and we're joined now by Jeff Ferrato, publisher of Cal Maven. He covers the Cal Bears. Jeff, good morning. Hey, how you guys doing today? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. I'm curious. You know, we have people. Freezing when I get there uh, this week. Uh, Not as bad as last week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I mean, you're going to think it's cold. Seventy five here today. As as two guys who lived in California, I grew up in California. uh, You're going to think it's cold. You know, but Berkeley gets cold, so cold's not bad. You live with that. You're I'll not, be ready. You're not going to freeze. So here's a question. Is the Cal offense going to be ready? Because the Cal defense has been remarkably consistent. They've been good. But an offense that never broke 30 points with Garbers at quarterback, but always got to 20, now suddenly can't get to 20 with Monster there. Is anything going to change? Or did you watch that Utah-ASU game and think uh, Cal's, Cal's going to struggle, struggle to do anything? Uh, the latter. <laughs> Absolutely. They're going to struggle. Um, you know, Chase Garbers is not walking through that door this week. Maybe, maybe after the bye or a week or so after that, they, they do hope to get him back this season, but it's not going to be yet. Uh, we don't even know if Modster can play. 
And, you know, we don't really know much yet about Spencer Brash. He was put in the most impossible situation, played two series trailing. The last time he got the ball, they had it on the eight-yard line with 57 seconds left and no timeouts, and he had no chance. I mean, he might be a good player someday, but it's going to be an awful lot to get him up to speed in time to play this defense. So I'd say it's going to be a real struggle for Cal's offense this week. You look at Garbers, and they were 4-0, right? And and I think they were leading when he went out against the Devils. And basically, their he offense had, is just falling off the face of the earth. That's, I mean, he was that important? They don't have somebody else who can at least do something? Well, I think we're all a little surprised by the drop-off from him to Garbers because they did compete in the spring and in fall camp for the starting job. Right. But the situation is more complicated than just the quarterback. Um, their offensive line is, is pretty much gone. They lost one starter before the first game, one starter in the first game, those guys aren't back. They're not coming back. They've lost a third starter, the center, Michael Safel, um, didn't play in the last game after being hurt in the Oregon game. And then a fourth starter, uh, Valentino Del Toso, who flips back and forth from uh, tackle to guard, currently is playing guard, um, uh, has been kind of limping around for the last month. Uh, he's trying to play, but he's not at his best. But basically, they're playing with a very young, inexperienced offensive line. They're getting experience because they've been playing much of this season, but these are the guys they thought would be their backups. Um, and so that's really hurt them. They had, you know, they gave up nine sacks to Oregon State for crying out loud. Um, it's hard to imagine what it might be this week. Um, you know, I, I think I had a guy who actually emailed me and said, can they put in the Wildcat? And they, I mean, people are desperate for looking for ideas for, for different ways Cal can approach its offense. Um, I think they just need to get healthy, and that's not going to happen in time for Utah. So it's going to be a problem. So basically, regardless of anything else, that offensive line isn't going to be able to block Utah's defensive line. So it comes down to then, can the defense win the game? I mean, this is shutouts are rare in college football, but if you hold a team to 10 points or less, you got a chance. The defense has been really good this year. All the numbers say it. The eyeball test says it. Can the defense be that good? Well, that, that's obviously a question. That, you know, I, <clears throat> I think even if Cal's offense was healthier, they would have a hard time against this Utah defense, which looks tremendous, uh, especially against the run. Um, the problem with Cal's defense, um, and they have been very good and very consistent, but the one difference between what they did last year and what they're doing this year is last year they generated turnovers. They had 21 interceptions last year, which I believe was second in the nation. They have three this year. That's it. After seven games, um, they're stopping the you know they're holding teams to 18 points a game, which is very good. It's not Utah good, but it's good. Um, but they're not taking the ball away. They're not giving their offense short fields. They're not creating those situations that give them easy scores that they really need because this is an offense that has a hard time driving 70, 80 yards. Um, so, and, you know, Utah does not turn the ball over much. Um, I suppose if Huntley were unable to play, one of the backups got in and, and coughed it up once or twice or they forced a couple of turnovers, that might help Cal stay in the game. They really do need to win the turnover battle. Excuse me. They need to win the turnover battle. They need to create some short fields. And if they, if they can do that, well, maybe they stay in the game. If they don't do that, I don't see any way they can um, compete. So their goal now, after being ranked and all that, is it simply just to get bowl eligible? Well, yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, how easy does that look? UCLA suddenly 
admittedly it was against a Stanford team that has kind of the same problems Cal has with offensive line and quarterback issues. But suddenly, you know, UCLA showed some signs of life last week. And, um, you know, Cal hasn't beaten uh, Stanford since the Truman administration. So, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen, even though Stanford's not very good this year. Uh, but they need to find two more wins, and that might not even be enough because there's enough teams sort of on a track to become bowl eligible in a conference that six wins might not do it. So um, it, the numbers are getting difficult for Cal. Jeff Verrato joined us, publisher of Cal Maven. He covers the Cal Bears. So is this coaching staff, which before the injury seems to have things on an upswing, are they having a big recruiting year, even if this year doesn't work out in a north that looks really difficult? Is Cal about ready to take a, another step forward? They're recruiting okay. Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not going to have recruiting year like like USC and Oregon typically will have. Uh, they haven't done that so far. They they pretty much recruit a diet of three star guys and try to develop them. And um, they've got um, a quarterback they just signed last week. They're I think they're probably excited about. Um, but you know, their issue next year will be that they lose or they're going to lose a lot of key guys on defense, including Evan Weaver. Probably Cam Bynum, uh, who is a junior, probably will leave. Um, and so, you know, the defense is going to lose kind of the heart and soul of some of the guys that make it so good. Um, so they're going to have to be better in offense, and everybody knows that. Um, I figured if they could average 25 points a game this year, they'd be very good. But right now they're averaging 19 or 19.9, I think. Um, and the problem is not that they're averaging 19, is that right now that looks like their ceiling. You know, it doesn't look like – Anytime soon, they're going to score 30. Uh, like you said, they haven't even they didn't even do that with Garbers. I think they're on their way to it at that point because they were starting to figure it out. Um, but now that you're down to your second or maybe third string quarterback, that's just probably not realistic. Evan Weaver, well, I think he led the nation in tackles last year and is obviously doing very well as a linebacker. What makes him so good? Well, he's a guy who thinks he should make every tackle on every play. He's just got a motor that just keeps going. He's very aggressive. He's smart. He understands what they're look, what he's looking at. He he runs that defense and puts guys in position. Um, so he understands way more than just what his responsibility is. Um, he's a very good tackler. Uh, that goes without saying. I mean, when you get that many tackles, but he's just aggressive and has a sense that this is his responsibility. And you know, he's had. Four games this year with 15 tackles or more, which is the most anybody in the country has. He's had two games with 20 or more. I don't think anybody else has done that. Um, you know, the other day he had, I think he had eight in the first quarter, and we we're thinking he's going to get 30 tackles today. Um, and if he did that some game, I wouldn't be totally stunned because he just keeps playing. He's been fortunate to not be nicked up at all. He's been very healthy. Um, he's ta- learned to take care of himself and get his rest and take care of his body and let it recover. Because he did admit after one of their games when he had 18 or 20 tackles, he was asked, you know, what's, what's your body feel like after you have that many collisions? And he says it's pretty sore the next day. Um, so I think, you know, the abuse that you take when you have that many tackles is different than if you have five tackles. Um, but he has stayed healthy. He stayed productive. He's the one guy on that team you always know what you're going to get. Jeff Barato joining us here, publisher of Cal Maven. He covers the Cal Bears. Uh, if you're handicapped in the race right now, obviously it looks like Oregon is going to win the North. Do you think they're going to win the conference regardless of who they face? 
Oh, not necessarily. I, I think I think Utah. I understand that Utah needs someone to beat USC, but I think that still can happen. USC's got some injury things cropping up. Um, I don't trust USC as being a consistent of a program at this point as as Utah is. Um, <clears throat> I think an Oregon Utah Pac-12 championship game would be tremendous. Um, those are two of the great defenses in the country. Oregon does have a lot of offense, but I think, you know, Utah with Huntley and Moss, and uh, I think that'd be a great game. Um, so I'm sure that Utes fans out there are thinking, you know, they can still get to the Rose Bowl, and it's possible. I think that would be a fantastic game. You know, even before the injury, the offense hasn't been that productive, and they brought in Bo Baldwin from Eastern Washington, supposed to be all that. But it's been a multi, multi-year multi problem. What's the issue inherently that the offense can't really get going in a game where we see a lot of offense now with all the rules? Well, that's a great question. And there's a lot of Cal fans out there who are very frustrated because they went from Sunny Dykes where they could score at will, but they couldn't stop anything. And, and now it's sort of flip-flopped, and, and you wonder, you know, is there a way that we could, you know, score 30 points in the game someday? And, and with the defense they have, could they, could they mix those two together? They don't need to be mutually exclusive, obviously. Um, you know, they've had injury problems, especially on the line. They're, they don't have the kind of depth that an established program has. You know, they didn't have a good talent level when they came in, um, and – it, you know, when, you, when you're recruiting the level of guys that they generally get, which, are, like I said, those three-star guys, you know, and, and uh, you know, it only means so much. But what it really means is that you're probably not getting ready-made players. You're getting guys you have to develop. Um, and I think they feel like they're on the path to developing some depth. And then all of a sudden they get decimated by a bunch of injuries on their line. Then their first and second string quarterbacks get hurt in the same season. And it feels like every team in the league practically has had a quarterback injury this year. Um, and, you know, so uh, I think they're going to be patient with Baldwin. He is a good offensive coach, but they haven't been dynamic. They haven't been particularly creative a lot. Um, and some of that has to do with sort of what their manpower is. They went from in the Dykes era, they gave out like 15 scholarships to wideouts, and they were – just loaded with talented wide receivers. And then they got to a point a year or so ago where they didn't feel like they had very many at all. And they started to build that up again. Um, but, you know, it's, it has certainly been a laborious work in progress to get this offense to be uh, even, you know, even halfway good. You know, as a whole, the Pac-12 needs to up its reputation nationally, and there's some things they can't control, time zones and all that. But winning big intersectional games is something maybe they can control. We see from Stanford and USC, who seem to want to play three tough games, to Arizona and Washington State, who don't want to play any tough games. Utah just puts it all on how good BYU is or isn't in any given year and then has two wins after that. But it seems like Utah's starting to change the way they're scheduling the future. Cal seems to want to play one decent game. They've got Ole Miss, TCU, and Auburn on the schedule, but never in the same year. Is that going to change, or is that pretty much who they are and that scheduling philosophy pretty consistent? Well, their philosophy has been to play you know, one Power Five, one of the legit uh, FBS team, and then, and then a third game. And I think that's sort of what, what they're doing. Um, I don't think you're going to see them play uh, and you know an SEC team, and in the same year they're playing a, a Big Ten school. Um, 
you know, I don't think Cal's scheduling model is a problem. I think, you know, they're playing one pretty good team most years. And you're scheduling years out, so you really don't know how good Ole Miss is going to be. But it's an SEC team. They played them on the road and beat them. Um, at one point, that was probably the Pac-12's best win early in the year. Um, and, you know, and Ole Miss isn't real good, obviously. But, um, you know, it, I don't think they're going to get Alabama to play a home-and-home. Home. You know, I'm not sure they're going to get LSU to do that. Um, the scheduling could be difficult and, and – uh, some of those schools just aren't coming out here. You know, they're just not doing it. Um, and so uh, I think their schedule model is, is realistic and, and for who they are and what they can get accomplished. And, and it seems like it's representative. I mean, they're playing one team that's probably pretty decent, you know, um, and then they're playing a, a middle-of-the-road FBS team, and then they're playing a game they know they're going to win. Uh, you know, Alabama plays two or three of those games every year. Jeff Ferrato, publisher of Cal Maven, covers the Cal Bears. Jeff, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking with us. Sure thing, guys. Take care. Have a good week. There's Jeff Ferrato. He covers the Cal Bears, and man, that's an ugly picture, isn't it? Well, the first string quarterback's out for sure, and I don't know about the second string quarterback. So the third string quarterback will be going behind a second string offensive line, and you're going against the Utah D line. No wonder Vegas has got it at a 19-point spread. You know, there's a point where the spread gets up there, and you're just like, well, the spread's going to be whatever the coach wants it to be because he can pull guys whenever. And I think some of the youths are dinged up. If they can get a big lead and get the backups in, do it. Get Huntley out. Get Moss out. I don't think Moss has been 100% for a long time now. Honestly, I don't. I got lit up on this on Twitter for this. I don't think he should have had the fifth carry at Oregon State. Anybody could have gotten that touchdown. It was already 21 nothing. It was over. If you get in that situation in this game, get him out of there. I thought the way he ran off the field in the fourth quarter of the ASU game, I thought he was favoring that shoulder. One arm was swinging like it normally swings when you run, and the other was up tight against his body. I think he's just, I think he's just gutting it out, and I don't know if he takes ibuprofen before the game or if there's a shot or if he's freakishly tough, but I don't think he's right. He's just powering through it. So this ought to be a blowout, and they ought to be able to rest some front-line guys and get some experience for some younger guys. All right, when we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 guy, will be breaking it down for us. A few BYU fans on a bye week, we got Jeff Grimes, BYU offensive coordinator, scheduled to join us at 7.15 this morning. So make sure you're here for the Grime Dog. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12, next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Thursday from 3 to 6 at Homie. 103.55 103.55 South Jordan Gateway in South Jordan. 103.55 South Jordan Gateway in South Jordan. All right, PK, we're about to talk with uh, Lincoln Kennedy here, our weekly visit with the Pac-12 Network and Raider analyst. But first, on the question, because we both got hit with this yesterday, what about ASU and all the dirty play? Well, something was going wrong, because Herm did apologize. But I think the play that really infuriated Ute fans. First off, if you're watching on TV, one of the penalties on the, the touchdown drive when there were three, 
was downfield and they never showed it to us. So I don't know how Ute fan can be outraged about that. We literally never saw it. The second one was Zach Moss and the helmet-to-helmet hit, which, you know, and the, the player, now I forget the name of the guy, who kicked, yeah, who got kicked out. And he was furious going to the locker room. You could see him. Because he did lead with the crown of his helmet, so he set himself up. There's yeah. that. Oh, he set himself up. But he was clearly looking at Zach Moss thinking, I'm going in low. I'm not taking this guy on. That's a smart thing to do. Zach Moss is a big dude, and so he's going in low. It won't be helmet to helmet. But then one of his teammates is dragging Zach down, and so Zach's dropping, and he's dropping in his helmet to helmet. We've seen that with receivers a lot. It's bad luck. Don't lead with the crown of your helmet. But we've seen this happen more than once. But you you can't assign any intent to that. It just happened. And that was the ugliest play in the game. Well, it depends on what your fandom is if you're a Ute fan you think it was dirty like there's a guy who does his name is Chris Cartman Sun Devil whatever and I'm looking at the stuff here and he shows one of the linebacker hitting a receiver and, they, and the linebackers looking at the quarterback and bumps into the receiver and they call a personal foul a blind side and so you read Darian is 100% staring at Huntley and unintentionally collided that is not a personal foul another one how the hell was that a flag so it's just where whatever your allegiance is that it's dirty, and we'll play af- after we get done with Lincoln Kennedy. We can play uh, Herm yesterday. If you're, yeah, you know, if you if you're an ASU fan, oh no no no. If you're a Utah fan, no, nah, that was all dirty. But when Utah commits uh, targeting, oh, that's a bogus call because you're a fan. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Networks Raider analyst, joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, guys. Sounds like you're talking about officiating. <laughs> you know, uh, talking about fan reaction. because uh, Utah oh, okay. fans are up in arms. The ASU's dirty. and ASU fans, no, those were bad calls or they're clean hits or what have you. You know how that goes. You've been around for a long time. It's Whatever your fandom yeah. is determines if it's dirty or clean. True story. Yeah, very true, very true. So did you play against teams you thought were really dirty or sometimes the game's physical and the refs think they got to control it so they throw a lot of flags? ASU got hit with 12 penalties in the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw that stat. Um, no, I, I've, never played, I've never played against a team that, was, uh, that we thought was like notoriously dirty. But, I mean, come on, I was a Raider, so we saw plenty <laughs> of flags in my career, um, whether they were fair or not. So, uh, But, no, it's it, – I do think there's a part of the game on both levels, collegiate and pro, where they're 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 over officiating. I think they're trying so hard to show that the game is safer, and they're trying to promote safety that they're really deterring from the fact that we're this is a physical game. I mean, I was stunned, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were in London. I was stunned the fact that you know Vontez Burfick was suspended for the rest of the year for being too rough. That was the official calls. He was too rough and too violent. We're talking about a violent game. But, I mean, this is, this is where we've come to. This is where our society has come to, especially when it goes to football. Uh, and the whole targeting rule in both college and pro has left a lot up to interpretation by the fans because even as a commentator and an analyst, there are still many times where you can slow something down on camera and make it look way more egregious than it actually was. Um, but you, but trying to um, diffuse or understand it, the, the intent of the player there is really hard to pick up because you can't know what's going through their mind at that, at that point. 
So when you get in a game, and it was clear that this game Saturday night was a, a lo- huge stakes. Utah, a bunch of seniors, they've been there. The Devils, a bunch of freshmen. And even if they're not freshmen, they haven't played in this type of game with potential you know, national rankings on the line. SC still is first place and all that. But uh, conference standings with huge implications. So it was clear the Devils lost their composure with the 12 penalties. I don't have any problem saying right. that as an ASU fan myself. So I'm wondering how in those games when it's chippy and physical and it's two teams, a little bit of a rival going on here, playing each other every year, they won't miss since they're both in the South. You as a player, particularly as a lineman, when you're getting smacked and smacking every single play, how do you control your emotions? You can't. There's really not a control of emotion. Look, football to me has always been uh, um, what I like to refer to as a game of controlled violence. And what I mean is between the whistles, anything goes. Anything can happen within reason, of course. But that's where you have to start looking at it. And it doesn't matter your age. The thing is that, as you mentioned, if you're a senior-laden team like Utah is, you've been down this road, you want to prove all the naysayers wrong, you want to make up for when you slipped in the past, you want to finally achieve something. ASU is on the verge of, um, you know, even though they've had some success this year, they're still a pretty young team. And and they'll use this as a learning experience, this game, which is what, you know, both coaching staffs want. Because you, if you're Utah, you want to show that you can fight one of those hard-fought games and win. If you're ASU, you want to learn from your mistakes, learn that these these um, these penalties really cost you in a way where you know the turnovers and everything else. You want to you want to make sure that you don't repeat them again because you want to have another chance at, at, at you know being a big big deal. You got to be better than that than you've been than they played this last game. So Cal's defense has looked just awesome all year long. The offense with Garbers right. seemed to score 20-something points every week, and they were 4-0. Now they've gone 17-7, 17 without him. They haven't gotten to 20 points. They've lost three in a row. Uh, Tyler Huntley says he's going to play. Now, I don't know that we're all convinced he'll be 100%, but he says he's going to play. So knowing that, how comfortable, how confident should Ute fans be leading into this game? Well, look, there, again, this is a time of year where Utah has, in the past, has slipped, um, and they can't afford to slip. I mean, to be completely honest with you guys, you know, when you look at the rankings, you've got Oregon at 11, Utah at 12. And I know Utah's going in for a game. You can't overlook anybody because the best way the Pac-12 has a chance, and I know Utah's not concerned about it, but it's, you know, forward thinking. The best way for the Pac-12 to have a chance to be a part of the playoff they have to win out. Oregon has to win out. They have to play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, and then that that winner will have a great shot of being a part of the playoff. So you can't afford to slip up. But Cal, in reference to the Cal game, Cal is definitely a defensive-laden team, um, and 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 I'm absolutely certain that Wilcox has put his influence, uh, head coach up for the Cal Bears has put his influence on this team, and they play like gangbusters. Their secondary is lights out. And, you know, they've got their All-American linebacker, who's Mr. Everything, Evan Weaver, uh, can run from sideline to sideline. So it's going to be a tall task for a team like uh, Utah. But more importantly, the thing is you've got to continue to play or try to play mistake-free football and, and stick with your identity, which is run the ball and play defense. And if they do that, I, st- I still think they'll outscore Cal because uh, Cal is really struggling in the offensive side of the ball. You think the North is done now with Oregon? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's a sealed deal. I do. I, I, I don't. I don't really see Oregon slipping up unless they just. I mean, I mean, unless they just overlook somebody and, and play down to a level. I don't see them slipping up. 
more acceptable slip among the top two teams, Utah blowing that game at SC or Oregon blowing the game to Auburn? Um, probably, probably Oregon blowing the game to Auburn because there were times even in the Washington game where Justin Herbert didn't look himself uh, or didn't look comfortable. And if he's going to be a big-time quarterback, probably a top-five draft choice, he's going to have to play better in those high-pressure situations. He came back in that Washington game and played better in the second half, and that's one of the reasons why they were able to win. So when you look at it just on the timeline reference, you go from that Auburn game and you see the growth of the team, I think you can, you can make the reference that Oregon uh, has learned from that Auburn loss. And I know at, well, Utah, where I see has learned as well, but again, we've got to still wait and see how Utah finishes this thing off. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought that look, that game in Seattle the other day. I thought from the defensive perspective, you know, they they're, they're pretty good. But I was impressed by the offense being able to do what they yeah. needed to do. In my mind, not only is Oregon going to win the South, but I think right now, and it's subject to change, but I think right now they're the favorite to win the conference in the title game. Do you see it that way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got some vulnerabilities, uh, Oregon does, but I, I think, you know, with quarterback play and offensive powers, I mean, offensive presence that they have and where they are at, uh, at managing and some of the games and critical games, and we'll see again them this week as well, um, I think Oregon is, is a favorite. Lincoln Kennedy joining us here, Pac 12 Networks and Raider analyst. So, as you handicap USC coming down the stretch here, because the Utes need them to lose one game for sure, and if the Utes have one right. of those stumbles, then they need them to lose two. How many do you think SC is losing down the line? I think everybody's looking at Oregon as the one they're most likely to lose. Uh, what are the odds? How are you handicapping this SC stretch? Well, you know what? Um, let me try to find SC's schedule. I don't know who the remaining schedule is. I think their biggest games are Oregon and ASU. So, so you know, you're going up against two pretty good teams. SC is dangerous because they still have star power, even though they have you know, little slight inconsistencies at quarterback. Um, but I don't think SC is as good as the team their record shows, and, and that's just the best way to put it. So, going up against Oregon and, and possibly if ASU sh- uh, shows up, you know, that, that I think that they'll lose. They can possibly lose both of those games, but I think they lose to Oregon. Um, I'm still out on, on the consistency of ASU's offense and right. their ability to score. They have uh, they got a couple road games at Colorado and Cal, and that Colorado's actually their next game uh, on the road. Oh, okay. But I'm curious about going to ASU and Cal back-to-back. Really good teams can handle back-to-back road games, but if you're not really good, you tend to lose one of those. And that's, that's where I'm thinking. I didn't have this schedule up in front of me. I, I think they will slip up because I don't think their record is, is, is truly an indicator of how good they are. Uh, who's, uh, whose record you don't think is an indicator how good they are? SC's. SC's record. Okay, so you think, think they're better than their record? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I, I misfit. They're not as good as their record. Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. If, if they went out, they'd be a 9-3 and three team, and they look like a 7- or 8-win yeah. team to you, not a 9-win team. Uh, that's exactly what, that's how I feel, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> as from Utah's perspective, to just to make sure – that you're in the driver's seat, you know, win, beat Cal, and then the November schedule, uh, the last three games, 
You've got the Bruins, the the Wildcats, and then Colorado, obviously. So what it boils down to is not this week, but next week. If you win in Seattle, then I think they're fine. They should be able to win the division. If you lose in Seattle, well, then probably SC would need to lose most likely to Oregon, which I think we put as an L, but then somebody else. Right. And it looks like on paper anyway that somebody else right now, that best chance is in Tempe against the Devils. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's a likely scenario. Again, I just want to see Utah get over this, what is it, late season hump. Yeah, and I that's mean, a fair assessment. You know, that, that's a big thing to me because I think they're talented enough to, to really uh, go all the way. I think they're talented enough to win the South. I've seen enough of them to say that I, I feel honestly they're talented enough to win the South. Lincoln Kennedy join us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. I'm curious, as you pointed out earlier, you know, you're a Raider. Uh, I'm curious what you think about mental toughness in sports and what people say and how it goes to their mindset. I don't know if you saw it, but Kyle Van Hoy is a big deal here because he played at BYU, and so Cougar fans still remember him fondly. He was great in college. He's playing well for the Patriots, and he could not get past it when the media told him after the Monday night game that Sam Darnold said he was seeing ghosts. Now, Darnold was awful. He's 11 of 32. He threw for like 68 yards in the game. He threw four picks and no touchdowns in that shutout loss. But he said he was seeing a ghost, and you could just hear in Kyle's response that even if you are, you just can't say that. You're, you're showing weakness. And I wonder what you think when you hear something like that. Maybe, and maybe it's different than what you would have thought as a player. Maybe you've evolved over time. Well, I mean, I, I think our society is, in a lot of ways is notoriously going soft in many respects. I, I think that people are getting away from uh, face-to-face interaction, man-to-man and talk, and want to go to either social media or some sort of electronic device to get their opinion across. I'm not saying that it hasn't been present before, but even more so today. And then other people don't know how to react to it. So they're not as mentally strong, in my opinion, or can't withstand the the, 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 the comments or, you know, even the, the even any type of, you know, the, what am I saying, ridicule or anything like that. People are mentally soft. And so when you hear a quarterback, and I agree, if you're a quarterback, you can't let that be known. Okay, yeah, you played a good team. They're undefeated. But you don't, all I saw was ghosts because I, I, I just can't get over this defense. You don't say that. You know what? They're a good football team. But they don't know how to handle that. People don't know how to talk these days. <laughs> and I think we as a society, society in many respects, the you know generations is, is getting softer and softer. And this is more evidence of that. So you saw the Raiders go into Green Bay, and watching that game, I want your perspective, but it looks to me like Aaron Rodgers is as good as ever. Oh, he is. <laughs> There's no, no, no doubt about it, he is. The thing about Aaron Rodgers, and I said this on the broadcast, is that Aaron Rodgers is, is definitely an elite quarterback, but one, the thing that sets him apart you know, from a number of quarterbacks um, is the fact that coming before he even gets the ball, he knows where he's going with it. He'll see a running back, for example, in the game they had running back versus linebacker matchups, and he knew he had an advantage with his running backs. And he put it outside the numbers to where he protected the ball from possibly being tipped and intercepted, and he allowed his playmakers to make plays. He picked apart the Raiders, and really there was nothing the Raiders could do to stop him. Absolutely nothing to do. So when you saw, you see a performance like that, I've seen it out of Tom Brady. 
I've seen it out of Drew Brees. I've seen it out of the quote-unquote elite quarterbacks in this National Football League. But it's, it, it never ceases to amaze me when you see it again and again how accurate and how, uh, and, you know, how uh, deliberate he is with the ball. So we've heard a lot over the years about football. The key is you've got to be able to play defense and you got to run the ball, and that's a championship team. Now, Kyle Whittingham's been yeah. saying that for years, and you fans are dying for the passing game to be a little better. This year it's a little better, and look at this, they're ranked 12th in the country. Alabama, right. though, everything Kyle's been saying, if you heard it come out of Nick Saban, you wouldn't actually be surprised. It doesn't seem like the teams look that different. And if you take it to the NFL, the Niners are second in the NFL team rushing and they've got a killer defense. The Patriots have a killer defense, although the Patriots aren't right. that good at running the ball. So do you believe in the pass-happy era and Aaron Rodgers and you know another handful of quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, uh, on down the line, dominate the game? But can the Niners and the Patriots ride awesome defense, recognizing the Patriots get to ride Brady too? Remember the air raid offense of Wazoo? How did that turn out for them? <laughs> Three conference <laughs> losses already out of the race. Exactly. So the, the, the thing is, is that you know, it certainly looks good to see you be able to go sideline to sideline, throw the ball around like that. But when it comes down to it, and especially when the weather gets bad later in the year and the winters and stuff like that, running the football and playing defense is going to is definitely going to be your, for me, be your best formula for winning. Now, the difference, you know, most of the difference, or the obvious difference between Utah and Alabama, is the fact that Alabama's been doing it for a decade. They've been winning. They've been winning national championships with the same formula. And even times when they try to open up the passing game, it really wasn't necessarily indicative of how they are. But they've had playmakers at wide receiver. They've had playmakers at quarterback. And so you've seen some flashes of them possibly opening up and going to a spread. But when it comes down to it, you've seen Nick Saban and Alabama Crimson Tide do it over and over again. He hands the ball off to those big backs, and they run behind that big offensive line, and they pound people in submission, and then they play solid defense on the other side. That is still the same formula for winning. All those teams that you mentioned in the National Football League are going to have success on the end, towards the end of the year as they push into for the playoffs. They're going to win in November and January. They're going to, I mean, November and December and to play in January. And that's what that, and it's going to be the same thing. They're going to play defense and they're going to run the football. Lincoln Kennedy talking all things football. Pac-12 Network analyst, Raider analyst. Lincoln, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a wonderful day. There's Lincoln Kennedy, our Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us every week. He also does Raider games, so it's great to get his thoughts on uh, on Green Bay and on uh, Aaron Rodgers. How do you get Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers back-to-back? They have awesome quarterbacks for 30 years in Green Bay. Back-to-back Hall of Famers. Sensational. All right, DJ and PK, coming up, what is trending? we got the World Series, got a couple NBA games, but we're going to get through that pretty quick because Jeff Grimes joins us at 7.15, BYU Offensive Coordinator. Coming up, stay with us on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone.